welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss Ryanair's strong summer earnings and Singapore Airlines' second quarter and, and the outlook for both. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. It was nice seeing you down in Texas last week. Yes, it was great to see everyone uh, for these at the Skift Aviation Forum. It was the second in-person event that we've had. Had a great turnout, uh, some good good presentations by uh, Robert Isom at American that all of you listened to last week. Uh, we'll probably have either Stephen Udvarhazi or Amer- Southwest CEO Bob Jordan on the podcast uh, in a few weeks. But yeah, we it was it was a good event, busy but good event. Yeah, very much. I, I in fact went back and listened to. Uh or watched all the uh the um presentations on our uh the uh, on YouTube on the we have we haven't posted and uh yeah in particular I watched uh, all the airline CEOs and Verhazi and a few others it was uh yeah a lot a lot of great great info absolutely well with the event behind us we are still in the midst of third quarter or September quarter earnings season and we've got two big ones that have gone this week so far. So uh, kick it off. Jay, tell us about Ryanair. Okay, so Ryanair uh, began the week uh, by reporting their calendar third quarter results. That's their the big, big summertime uh, peak season. And they have an operating margin of 35%, which is uh, that's, that's fireworks. And <laughs> I don't know what we need to do to celebrate that, but it's uh, that's by far the uh, the um, strongest uh, operating margin of any airline in the world that's reported so far. Probably will, uh, I don't think anybody's going to beat that. Now, um, they- It's, it's, it's a nice nothing, problem to be very profitable, right? <laughs> very nice, very nice problem to have. Uh, I, I don't even know where the word problem came in. There's no problems here. Right, right, <laughs> exactly, yes. There's, it's, all, it's all smiles. Uh, but, but Ryanair, I should say, this is nothing abnormal for them. They actually uh, did a 35% margin last year, last summer for the third quarter. Um, and in 2019, they did a 33%. So basically this is for them, this is old hat. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's it's like clockwork. Third quarter comes, summertime comes around and they just post these extraordinarily high margins. So now the OE, you know, the the question is, is how are they going to do in the, in the, some of the, off-peak quarters, uh, Q1 is always pretty tough for them and all the European airlines. Um, now, in a normal year, their summertime gains far outweigh their wintertime losses. And I don't think there's going to be any question that that's going to be the case this year. And they'll wind yeah, up. Yeah, they, they, they the- talked about that a little bit in terms of the winter. They, you know, Ryanair referred to... Um, uh, the the issues, the supply side issues that a lot of airlines are facing, namely the Pratt Whitney engine issues, maintenance backlogs, and everything. And and they said they expect revenues to continue to be very strong through the winter. Um, you know, aside from demand, which they also expect to remain steady at least, uh, as competitors just can't grow as much. And that includes you know sort of booming Wizz Air that's been a real uh, pressure on on them, at least in Eastern Europe. Yeah, that was that was one of their closest competitors in terms of uh, you know margin figures and whatnot, and and it's before the pandemic, and it just hasn't been the case. Now, Wizard hasn't reported yet for this quarter. That will um, be later quarter. this week. Yes, later. Okay, yeah, we're talking. That's we should 
point out that we're, we're talking, talking on Wednesday, November 8th, and Wizz Air is going later. So, listeners, you will have an idea of how Wizz Air did before, you know, before, uh, before you uh, listen to this. Yep. And I suspect they, you know, had a good summer as European airlines tend to do, but probably disappointing relative to previous summers. That's just a guess. I mean, they've just had all sorts of problems, not with just the Pratt and Whitney engines, but I think they've, uh, they, they're 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 expanding very aggressively in a higher risk way in some of these you know Middle Eastern Gulf markets and uh, setting up joint ventures and doing longer stage lens, which is you know can be riskier risky for a uh, you know everybody kind of thinks it's <laughs> everybody assumes that the longer stage lengths are good because it is true the longer you utilize an air let's say an A three twenty one Neo in their case. You're gonna get, you're gonna lower your unit cost. You're gonna get great utilization, but your unit revenues tend to go down more <laughs> than your unit cost. And so, if you look at Ryanair, their their stage lengths are rather short. And yes, shorter stage lengths entail higher uh, unit cost, but you tend to get your your you know the revenue you get for for each each mile each kilometer flown tends to be pretty good on the, on some of those short short routes. Um, and you know, Wizards kind of diverting from that. So, uh, but I I shouldn't prejudge their results because uh, we, uh, as we're speaking, we don't have them yet. Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about them next week. <laughs> maybe, but you know, even if the results are good, they you know the amount of growth that they've been undertaking is just is really getting curtailed. You know, they cut their growth outlook for the second half of their fiscal year. So that's that's October through March. This is Wizards you're talking about, or. This is whiz, this is whiz okay. by 10 percentage points because of the Pratt Whitney engine issues. You know, yeah. they've got a large A320 Neo family fleet. So, you know, revenues, they could have done very well over the summer, and yet they, they're not going to be able to grow the way they did. And that's certainly going to hurt somehow. Um, you know, they're just they've, they've built a business model that is built on strong growth and not having that is going to be a drag. But, you know, that might not have hit during the summer. So we could actually see very good numbers tomorrow thursday and that really won't necessarily tell us how much the, the issues are going to drag down with going forward you see what amazing analysts we are we're, we're analyzing whiz air we don't even have their numbers oh. yet <laughs> <laughs> and i realize our conversation was supposed to be about ryanair yeah anyway, what else did ryanair, ryanair have to say <laughs> we, have, we actually have some data about them but yeah no no you know everything we said is um is interesting. It's but also in the context. I just want to you know step. Let's step back a second. So every European airline uh, that's reported so far, uh, every let's say every major, you know the major ones, they they've all had just extraordinarily high profits this summer. It really was a magical summer for European airlines. That's uh, you know that's explained by several different factors. Fuel prices were definitely down year over year. You have a lot of capacity that's still, you know, that hasn't come back from 2019 levels. A good example of that is, you know, in Germany, it's it's still way down. Um, and then you just have all this demand and not just demand within Europe, but even don't forget, even an airline like Ryanair is going to benefit from the extraordinarily strong transatlantic demand that we saw this summer, because there's a lot of Americans, let's say, coming over to Europe, they'll fly to London, to Paris. They'll jump on a Ryanair plane to Greece, to Italy, whatever. That's very common. Yeah. And now you have a lot of Asian and and O'Leary, you know, the CEO, he's, he's, he talks about this in, in, in his calls. Even, you know, with Asia coming back now, 
same deal. You know, someone will come over from Japan, they'll fly to, you know, wherever, uh, London, and they'll jump on a plane to Dublin on Ryanair or whatever. So uh, they're they're right. They're benefiting for all that. And, um, and I think we've all done that. You know, when I uh, yeah. took my kid to Slovenia last year, it was uh, United and Lufthansa over and back, but I flew EasyJet within uh, within Europe. So and I think, I, the, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think the only Ryanair ever Ryanair flight I've ever flown was many years ago, but it was from Rome to Tunisia, I want to say. I was uh, like a last minute thing. I was, I was, uh, for some reason I was in Italy and I said, let's go to, let's go to, I've never been to North Africa. Let's go to Tunisia. So I jumped on a flight. Um, I, I may be misremembering that because, uh, as, as, you know, as we all tend to do as we get older, but, (laughs) but I think that was, yeah, I only remember being on a Ryanair flight once in my life, but, uh, but there you have it. So anyway, yeah, no, it was a really, really good summer for, for European airlines. Uh, and the question is, you know, does that continue? Uh, we, you know, who knows? I kind of think that Ryanair have... and Lu- and the Lufthansa Group are very confident that the at least profitability will continue. Demand being holding steady, mm-hmm. supply issues, but like you said, I mean, we we don't know. Kind of feels like we're sort of at the top of the mountain, so to speak. And as we're seeing they, here in the U.S., <laughs> yeah, as we're seeing here in the U.S., particularly in domestic markets. And I don't, you know, I don't think that means we're going to be, you know, tumbling down to the valley like overnight or anything. But, you know, we just may be no longer at the summit anymore. Uh, and it just so much depends on, you know, where does where will fuel prices be over the next 12 months? And, you know, where how will the economy be? I mean, there's so many, so many wild card factors, but uh, it does it does kind of feel like we, we may be at the top for transatlantic demand in particular and maybe even, you know, intra-Europe demand. So, absolutely. Uh, I mean, time, time will see. tell. Time will tell. That that is for sure. All right, Jay. With that, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to go to Southeast Asia. And we're back, Jay. So another airline that reported this week was Singapore Airlines. Why don't you tell us the numbers before we dive into some details? Yeah, and they did fantastically uh, well. Also, um, you know, not Ryanair thirty plus type margins, but that's just the summertime, summertime in Europe type of phenomenon. Um, but Singapore Airlines in the third quarter, calendar third quarter, I think was after fiscal second. Is that right? Um, but uh, their fiscal second quarter, yes. fiscal second, right? Anyway, it's uh, what's what July to September, right? July, August, September is seventeen percent. Um, which is, uh, yeah, which, which is fantastic. Uh, and they are not a very seasonal airline in that sense. They're almost the opposite of a typical European low cost carrier. They, their earnings tend to be pretty smooth over the course of a calendar year. Uh, 17% fantastic. And last year, same quarter, they did 15%. Now, if you go back to 2019 in the same quarter, they only did 5%. So Singapore airlines is definitely one of these carriers that has become much more profitable coming out of the pandemic than they were, uh, I'll say, through all throughout the 2010s. You know, you could you can go way back when Singapore Airlines was just just you know famously profitable carrier. I mean, just one of the all stars of the industry, and they still are very much in terms of their service reputation and and whatnot. But during the 2010s, it wasn't really a good decade for them. They had they never lost money, but 
Right. You know, a typical year would be 5%, 6% operating margin. Maybe they'd hit seven or eight, but it wasn't really a great decade. And I think it, it really comes down if I had to, you know, just if you asked me to just choose one reason why, uh, just heavy, heavy competition, you know, so much new low cost competition throughout East Asia, you know, competing against the Gulf carriers and the China, aggressively expanding Chinese carriers and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but now, you know, a lot of that capacity has come out. And I think as you wrote uh, this morning, Ned, um, you can- On Wednesday. This is Wednesday, right? Um, the Some of that capacity is coming back. Is that not correct? That's right. So, you know, Singapore Airlines, they they held a call, which we haven't been able to listen to yet, but I, I looked at their presentation and, you know, they- highlight the fact that they were one of the first to recover capacity in in the region Southeast Asia and East Asia. And thanks to that, they're driving some strong, strong revenue growth. They're keeping costs in checks. That's driving profits. But they they highlighted one of the concerns that they're watching is the return of competitive capacity. And they had an interesting slide in there that in September, they'd recovered about 83% of their pre-pandemic capacity, whereas Asia Pacific Airlines as a whole were only at about 72%, and that was helping them. But that's expected to change as the year ends. We've got AirAsia planning a full recovery by year end. Cathay Pacific is going to be at 70% and then full recovery next year. And so Singapore Airlines is is looking to set themselves apart because they, they see that capacity coming back. And they've got a number of strategic initiatives one, of course, is keep costs in check, keep their high quality brand image, uh, you know, maintain that. But others include, you know, boosting connectivity. They've got, they, they highlighted they have 30 plus destinations in China uh, that will be operating in December um, versus, so they're 35. And then I looked in Dio and Cathay, which is traditionally a main feeder for passengers into China, will only have 15 destinations operating and AirAsia will be at 17 no, sorry, flip that. AirAsia 17, Cafe 15. But um, it's it's funny to see this. So there, Singapore Airlines is setting itself apart. And then, oh, also the Air India deal. Uh, once Air India and Vistar merger happens, Singapore will have a quarter of 25% stake in the new Air India. So they're really looking at these ways to set themselves apart and maintain their lead over the, the their competitors. And it is interesting because I remember... Five, 10 years ago, Singapore Airlines, while they had their image of being a high quality carrier, you know, they were very choosy about who they partnered with. They had a couple equity partnerships with airlines, but they weren't outside of that. They they sort of held themselves apart from the rest. And I feel like that's changing. They're, they're realizing partnerships can be very lucrative to their own success and, and offering their travelers, their passengers, you know, connectivity across the globe. Very much. Yeah, they, they kind of came late to that religion. They, they you're right. They were for many years, you know, oh, we just we have the best brand in the world. We don't want to, uh, you know, we want to we want to maintain our independence. Uh, but then in, uh, yeah, more recently, they've, they've been uh, more aggressive about forming partnerships and joint ventures. And even just within their home network, I think they realized, you know, there was so much capacity in, in that sort of ASEAN region, Southeast Asia. Uh, yes. pre 2019 that now they're cooperating. They're just like, <laughs> I think they're just willing to cooperate. They have a, you know, arrangement with Thai Airways and Garuda Indonesia 
and, and Vietnam Airlines and Malaysia Vietnam. Airlines. It's <laughs> like, just like, yeah, you want you want to shake my hand? Come on, let's go, let's partner. So yeah, it's much more. Um, they're much more willing to do that. I think you're right. And they've had, um, yeah, they, you know, they they had, uh, well, they for many years, Air New Zealand and, and Virgin. I think you pointed out. So they're all in the yeah. pond up in Japan is an important partner. Lufthansa United, etc. So that is a big, uh, I think that's a big part of their strategy. And then, yeah, they're now, I mean, Singapore, remember, it's just such a small market. You know, it's it's a good market. There's business there, but it's just, you know, there's no population. The population is very small. Yeah. Um, and it's probably it a, a, a growing market considering, you know, the changes in Hong Kong uh, financial center there. I think there's probably been some a shift in, in capital to Singapore. But like you said, it is a small market. I forget what the population of Singapore is, but it's not, I mean, it's not huge. It's uh, it's five four point five million. So that's yeah. you know, that's not half even half the size of New York. Half the size of yeah, like that's New the York DC, City it's the Washington DC area. So it's not huge. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, it's uh, I mean you know fantastic geography. Uh, just you know sits right between India and China and Aust- Australasia's down there, and you know a lot of itineraries uh, that uh, the pass pass across Singapore and that region in itself you know singapore airlines it's, it's interesting the uh it was always kind of historically the in a sense like the de facto kind of national airline for all of southeast asia because some of these other carriers like malaysia it's not that they're bad but you know they just didn't have that same if you were flying you know if you were you, if you were doing if you're a big business consultant or a banker you know engineer or something you're flying uh you needed to fly throughout asia you would get on singapore airlines uh and that was true for, you know indonesia with 200 million people or whatever and then also it was kind of true a lot for a lot of itineraries out of india too like eastbound you know you wouldn't really fly air india for many years because they were their reputation wasn't good and then that was also true for china too because china's uh airlines didn't have their reputation so singapore was just uh you know they they they're even though they're their home market is very small. It's better to think of their home market as just as, as a much broader area, you know, encompassing more than a yes. billion people, several billion people. So that's they've always had that going for them. Now, some of these other airlines, you know, Air India is getting better. Obviously, they're 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 trying to participate in that. Um, you know, some of the other airlines in in the region have have improved their reputations and stuff. But it's still generally true about Singapore Airlines, if the premium long haul market is performing well, then Singapore Airlines is performing well. That's the that's always been the general rule. And as we know from, you know, countless airlines that have been reporting this season, we know that premium long haul is just like super gangbusters right now. So that's, that, that's yeah, been really helpful. Now they have, you know, a lot of other strengths too. The incredible I mean, and I was balance like sheet, low their... labor costs. Yeah, I was looking at their financial statement too, and Scoot, which is their low-cost subsidiary, they're not insignificant. I I don't know why I had this image that they were a small player, but they've got seven eight. They've grown it a lot. Yeah, they've grown a lot. It's like over forty aircraft. You know, one of the big things they highlighted in their presentation was the arrival of Embraer E-Jets that will start arriving next year, and that will allow them to go to more secondary and tertiary cities in Southeast Asia, the E-2s have a range of a couple thousand miles. So in theory, they could make it all the way, I guess, to Southern China. Um, someone can correct me on the distance there. But that they're, they're talking about just expanding that regional connectivity. They're going to offer more smaller dots to their map and and really just, just 
get that that connectivity through Changi. And I think that's, you know, they're going for that as a competitive advantage. Yeah, remember, uh, Scoot got a lot of scale when they merged with uh, Tiger. They kind of yeah. fused those two together. So it became both a wide body and a narrow body carrier. And then they folded Silk Air. They kind of did away with the brand and kind of, I think that's folded into mainline now, if I'm not mistaken. But right. uh, but yeah, the Square Lines itself, yes. Yeah, but Scoot is a, uh, yeah, it's a sizable player. And, uh, you know, it's not, it, I don't think it's, some, it's, a, it's an airline that's had a ton of success throughout its history. Maybe, you know, you'd imagine it's doing better now because a lot, like we've talked about before, a lot of the capacity has been taken out of the region. Um, you know, what Singapore Airlines does best at the end of the day is, you know, the high priced premium travel, um, which they could do at, you know, competitive prices because they're, they generally have a low cost base, um, almost like not not that dissimilar to what Turkish Airlines is doing over the transatlantic. That's a whole different subject. But, um, you know, they do have that. They, they still have a lot of cost advantages. Uh, and, um, yes, it's, I, I, you know, I don't know where Scoot goes from here, but, uh, but it's definitely a, uh, well, they're getting those E192. They so are getting, yeah. That's, that, mm-hmm. that they'll be growing with those very shortly. Yep. So they, yeah, no, I mean, it's certainly here to stay and, uh, it's probably a, you know, a useful competitive weapon they have when, you know, another low cost carrier from the region jumps on their turf. They can respond with that rather than, you know, have to deploy, higher cost, uh, you know, the, the heavy metal from mainline. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's... it seems like a good, even if it's not the most profitable subsidiary, it seems like, it, I mean, considering the competitive dynamics in the market, it's an important strategic tool to have, especially when you have AirAsia and others lapping at your doorstep. Yeah, there's just a lot of low cost. Yeah. Well, and even, I mean, if you think about even on the long haul end, I mean, if you think it's, it seems to be everyone's doing, I mean, the two Japanese carriers now have their own kind of long haul, low cost operation. You know, JAL has was it Zip Air and ANA starting Japan Air. Air and, Japan, uh, yes. Air Japan. Did I did I do that backwards? <laughs> it's all good. Air Japan. Yeah, I can't keep track. But <laughs> so yeah, too many um, subsidiaries to keep track of. Right, and then um, you have uh, what others in the region? There's um, I know that's uh, well, Cafe never did long haul. They have they they purchased HK Express, but that's all short haul still. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, that seems to be, um, you know, that's, it, it's not uncommon in that region to do low cost long haul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jay, with that, we're going to wrap up this week of the airline weekly lounge listeners. Uh, you can reach myself at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com and please visit airlineweekly.com for all of our daily news. And then on subscribe to get to get access to our weekly issue. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.